brothers, I want to share with you on mentoring men for mentoring godly men, I need to add, for leadership in the church. That's what I want to speak on. And I'll be focusing on two passages of scripture. Uh, the one I'll read to us just now, and uh, the other is from John chapter 17, which I will pick up uh, in the course of my sermon. Let's begin by reading Second Timothy and chapter 2. That's a passage you all know very well, I'm sure. Second Timothy and chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now you've probably not come across the word mentoring in the Bible. But hopefully you have found the concept of mentoring throughout the Bible. Indeed, as you scan the pages of Scripture, it will soon become evident that mentoring is part of God's pattern for developing leaders. In the Bible, key leaders are not usually self-made. Rather, they all appear to have benefited from some kind of mentoring relationship. It's therefore reasonable to conclude that if we would continue to have good leaders, and if we would build good leaders for the next generation in the church, that we must be in the habit of mentoring men. It's not without reason then that I am drawing your attention to this passage of Scripture. Now, Paul, as you know, wrote this letter from prison to a young man named Timothy. At the time, Timothy was the leader of the church at Ephesus and was facing growing opposition at a time when there were glowing opportunities. He writes, therefore, to encourage him to persevere if he would reap the reward. He also writes to remind him of his spiritual heritage as well as his responsibilities. One of those responsibilities involved the whole matter of mentoring men for leadership. Now, Timothy was a pastor. So it was part of his duty and responsibility to mentor men. But in case you think he was the only one who was expected to be mentoring men, well, verse 2 makes it clear that in fact, part of his work would be to build men who would also get involved in the work of mentoring 
other men. So as we think about this whole matter of mentoring, uh, three simple points I would like to share with you and underline from the text. And they are simple for all of us to remember. I want to speak about the mentors, the mentees, and the mentoring. Those three things. The mentors, the mentees, and the mentoring. And we'll find them all coming out of our text. Let us begin with the mentors. And in this verse, the mentor is none other than Timothy, whom Paul addressed in this letter. He says, and all the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. The things that, I want you to notice that personal pronoun, you, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit to faithful men. And that personal pronoun has a reference to Timothy. A mentor is someone who teaches or gives help and advice to a less experienced and often younger person. Various organizational settings have different kinds of mentors. In the business world, mentors could be senior employees. In the sporting world, they could be coaches. Biblically speaking, and particularly in the Old Testament, the mentors were always wise and trusted counselors or teachers who were prepared to invest their lives in those of less mature men and women, we need to add. These mentors included men like Jethro, we all know about him, who influenced Moses, Moses, who brought up Joshua, Naomi, who inspired Ruth, Deborah, who nudged Barak, Elijah, who passed on his mantle to Elisha. In the New Testament church, the people who met this criterion included Barnabas, who encouraged and trained Paul. And Paul himself was the influence behind Timothy and Titus and no doubt a host of others. Timothy, who is our focus in this sermon, appears to have been quite young. As a matter of fact, very young when Paul installed him as a pastor in the church of Ephesus. Uh, he might have been in his early 20s. There are even people who suggest that he may have been in the upper teens, but a very young man indeed. Nonetheless, a man who appears to have had 
the necessary gifts and experience to have moved Paul to command him to mentor leaders in his church. In the church, the mentors must meet certain qualifications. Apart from the obvious ones, namely biblical and theological know-how, they must be godly. They must be godly. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, exercise yourself toward godliness. He expected Timothy to be godly. Timothy was no doubt a godly man. He needed to have that character in order for him to build others. And as a godly man, he must have been striving to know God, to love God, and to walk with God, and to have his whole life revolve around the need to honor God. His life was God-focused. In other words, mentors must be men of God in the church. And they are men of God who, by the study of the scriptures and the intimate acquaintance they obtain with God, thereby are well equipped to do every good work. Timothy, you recall, was encouraged to be a man of God, a man of the word, a man who had an intimate acquaintance with God. That acquaintance was necessary for him to be a mentor to others and to do the various aspects of the work of ministry. Well, that's the mentor. And the question you ought to ask yourself is, are you a mentor? Have you been made to be a mentor? Are you qualified to be a mentor? So much for the mentors. But let's go on in the second place and look at the mentees. The mentees. A mentee is the one who is being mentored, the protege. And in the church at Ephesus, these mentees are identified as men. Note carefully in verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, these commit to faithful men. And that word men, anthropoise, it's the word for men in general. Um, and these men must be mentored. And one characteristic of the men who must be mentees should be faithfulness. Faithfulness. 
Note that adjective. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It must be men, but not just men. The mentees must be faithful men. And that means they must be trustworthy men. Or if you like, men we can count on. And I want to spell out a number of areas in which this faithfulness must be evident. First, you can count on their loyalty to God. You can count on their loyalty to God and to his word and to his work. These men are steadfast in their affection and allegiance to God and to his people. You can count on their commitment. If you are a mentor, the suggestion is that you are faithful yourself. And if you are a mentee, the suggestion is that you have been identified to be a faithful man. And you have an inflexible loyalty to God. You have an inflexible loyalty to his word and an inflexible loyalty to his work. Can it be said about you that you are such a faithful man? Secondly, you can count on their intellectual abilities because one of the things mentees are expected to be doing is to, to, to learn. The, the mentors, as we shall be seeing in a moment, are called to teach the mentees. The mentees have the ability to learn. They are interested in learning. They are interested in assimilating and putting into practice whatever it is they receive. You can count on their intellectual abilities. Thirdly, you can count on their gifts and skills at teaching. Listen to how Paul puts it. The things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. They will be able to teach others also. They have gifts of teaching. They have the skills or at least the potential to teach others. They are competent at teaching others or holding discourse with others in order to instruct them. Fourthly, you can count on their ability to hold church office. They may not be in office, but they have what it takes 
become officers in the church. And I must add that if they are older women, these same characteristics must be present in them. They may not hold office because God hasn't opened church office to them, but they must be loyal to God. They must be holy women. You can count on their abilities to teach. Look at how Titus describes such women who are playing a very important role in the life of the church. In Titus and chapter 2, we read in verse 3 that Titus was to teach the older women. The, the general principle is that he must speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And he must apply those things to older men and older women, to younger men and to younger women, to ministers, to bond servants. They all must be exposed to sound doctrine. But in relation to older women, he says in verse 3 that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. They have a teaching role in the life of the church. It's teaching of other women, both old and young. It is interesting that Paul commands Timothy to teach the older women, but not the younger women. Not as if he couldn't teach them, but Paul was probably conscious of the fact that that would potentially open Titus to temptation. And so he, he focuses on training the older women so that the older women may then take up the responsibility of training the younger women. Well, the mentees to put it simply, must be godly men. The mentors are godly men and the mentees must be godly men, faithful men. Let's come in the second place and observe the mentoring, the mentoring. The mentoring is a relationship between two people, usually with the goal of personal or professional development. In the context of the church, mentoring is a relationship between the mentor. Now, a mentor could be a pastor or some other mature man or woman in the church. It, it can also be a, a family head, a, a, a father or a husband 
So a relationship between the mentor and the mentee. And that relationship has a goal. It has a purpose. And the goal is equipping the mentee for Christian leadership, for personal godliness. Now concerning mentoring, therefore, there are a number of important points I'd like to share with us. First, notice with me the context of the mentoring, the context. Where must this mentoring be taking place? And the context is the church. The church. Why is the church the context of the mentoring? Well, mentoring is done through the communication of the truth. Paul speaks about teaching here. The things that you have heard from me, how did Timothy heard those things from Paul? Or by sitting under Paul's teaching. What was Paul teaching him? The truth. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. What will they be teaching? It is the truth. I want you to note, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. God has called and ordained the church to preserve the truth, to defend the truth, to communicate the truth. So the church doesn't just preserve the truth. The church defends it because the truth is so often under attack. But the church also communicates that truth. The truth, whose pillar and ground is the church, is summarized in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I am sure you have read that verse many times. Here is a summary of that truth. 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, Believed on in the world, received up in glory. The truth here is put in the form of a hymn, and it has six strands of truth weaved into it. He appeared in the body. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. In other words, the truth is basically the gospel. And this truth is referred to as a mystery here because in the Old Testament it was kept hidden. 
It's not as if it was not there. It was hidden in types and in shadows. And so even though it was not there, it was not so clear for Old Testament people. But in the New Testament, it has made an appearance in a manner similar to the way the sun makes an appearance. Early in the morning, you see the sun rising from the east and before long, the sun is clear, it is plain, it is plain, it is spreading its rays across the earth. In a similar way, the gospel has made an appearance. It's no longer hidden. It is a revealed secret, if you like. You will notice in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that this truth is referred to as the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Why is it referred to as such? Well, it is a mystery of godliness because those who receive it in their hearts become godly men. They become godly men. It builds them up into godly people. It builds them up to know God, to love God, to revere God, to fear God, to serve God. The truth is what does that. Men are not zapped into becoming godly men. Men don't become godly because someone has laid hands on them. Men don't become godly because something instantly <coughs> drops upon them. They become godly because they have been exposed to the truth. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, takes hold of those truths and uses them to bring life, godly life. If mentees would be godly, godly men, workers of God, they ought to be exposed to the truth. The truth for which the church is the ground and the pillar. That training, therefore, ought to be happening in the context of this edifice called the church. Let's note in the second place the method of training, the method of training. And Paul makes it clear here in Titus, Second Timothy, rather, chapter 2, that the training, the mentoring, if you like, is via teaching. Have you noted that? And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. 
And the commitment of this trust of faithful men is by teaching. And once those truths are committed to them through teaching, they are trained to become able teachers themselves. So, you heard these truths from me via teaching. You must commit these same truths to these men via teaching so that they too would be in a position to teach others. Teaching. 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 That's the key. The mentors must teach the mentee whatever it takes. And we don't have time to go into, into this, but they must teach them whatever it takes to develop them theologically, to develop them spiritually, and to develop them vocationally. Timothy was to teach what accords with sound doctrine. In John 17, verse 6 through to 18, that's the other passage of scripture I would like us to be aware of. In that passage, our Lord Jesus Christ exemplifies in his own life and ministry what mentoring looks like. The text, as a matter of fact, outlines a five-step process that summarizes Jesus' own discipleship priorities. And those of us that mentor others must reflect something of these, uh, process, uh, this process uh, in order to produce the kind of men we had in mind. In John chapter 17, we find the first thing the Lord Jesus Christ did. He taught his disciples. Jesus said, I have given them your word. I have given them thy word. Part of our work as mentors is to give to our disciples the Lord's word, not our word, the Lord's word. He gave them his word. God's word, when you mentor others, that is your first responsibility, to equip your mentees with the word. What does that mean? You, you are to give them a general understanding of the scriptures, of the Bible. We must expose them to the content of the scriptures to the books of the Bible. Teach them the Bible. You must expose them to the doctrines of the Bible. And as reformed men, you will be paying attention to what we refer to as the, the, the six loci of the reformed faith. The doctrine of God. The doctrine of man doctrine of Christ, the doctrine 
of salvation, the doctrine of the church, and the doctrine of the last things. You need to give them exposure to these doctrines. And the implication is, isn't it, that as a mentor yourself, you have had something of an exposure to these doctrines. You have a good understanding of what the Bible teaches about God. His nature, his names, his decrees, his attributes. Um, you will have an, had an exposure to that and you want to expose your mentees to that. You want to expose them to a biblical understanding of man. There is so much teaching about man in the world today, but it's not all rooted in the Bible. A lot of it is rooted in psychology. You want to give them a biblical understanding of man. Biblical understanding of Christ. Biblical understanding of salvation. You will pay attention to what in the Reformed faith we refer to as the doctrines of grace. The five points of Calvinism. You will pay attention to the order salutis. The order of the doctrines of salvation. You will pay attention to the church. Very, very important. The Christians are supposed to be expressing much of their activity through the church, in the context of the church, and in the name of the church. When we go into the world to take the gospel to the lost, we, we, we do it in the name of the church. And of course, teach them about the last things which, generate, uh, which generates hope in the heart of a Christian. We are not laboring for nothing, we have a hope that our Savior will appear. And when we see him, we shall be like him. And he will take us to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth where we will continue our service to him. Your mentees need to hear these things. Expose them to specific teachings affecting particular groups or individuals in the church. Timothy was expected to be doing that. Titus was expected to be doing that. If your mentee is young, they need to receive teaching that is appropriate for the young. If they are old, they must receive teaching that is appropriate for the old. So they have an understanding of their role in the church and in the world. An understanding that is appropriate 
to their age. He taught them. Secondly, we're talking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in mentoring his own disciples. He was a model of godliness to them. He says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given to me. He was a model of godliness. He wasn't just seeking to develop godly men. He showed them what that godliness looked like. He was a model of godliness. Pastors must model godliness for their people in the church. Fathers must model godliness for their children. You don't just speak about it, reflect it. It is like you are trying to train your children to be biblical churchmen. And you teach them at home, you must go to church, you must be in the church. But you are not in the church yourself. They often remember the example better than the things you say. Because it is true, isn't it, that actions speak louder than words. Jesus was a model of godliness to them. Thirdly, he prayed for them. He prayed for them. In John 17 and verse 9, the Lord said in his high priestly prayer, I pray for them. I pray for them. And this is a a remarkable statement. And we do find the Lord doing just that. He prays that the Father would keep them. He prays that the Father would protect them. He prays that the Father would sanctify them. He prays for their future work of discipling or mentoring others. He prayed for them. And fifthly, he encouraged them. In verse 12 of John 17, he says, I kept them in your name. He encouraged them by word of mouth. He encouraged them by example. He urged them, he spurred them on. And then, fifthly, he commissioned them. John 17, verse 18, I have sent them into the world. And this is similar to what Paul is doing here, even as he instructs Timothy. Commit these to faithful men. That's a commission. Who will also be able to teach others? So there ought to be a passing on. I have trained you. Go and train others. And when they have trained others, they must also commission the people they train to go and train others. And this is how the church multiplies. The pastors train you. 
and you look out for others in the church, young men, you bring them under your wings, you encourage them, you teach them, you spur them on, you exemplify the godly life, and you encourage them to go and do the same thing to another. And on and on and on it goes. And at the end of the day, it is not just the pastors who are doing this work. Everyone, those who can teach anything at all, they are teaching others. All of this is under the supervision and guidance of the elders. But everyone is busy training someone else, mentoring someone else. And I want us to observe also the purpose of this mentoring before we come to a conclusion. The purpose of this mentoring. Second uh, Timothy 2 and verse 2 underlines that so they will be able to teach others also. So they will be able to teach others also. So we are mentoring them, first of all, to become people who can lead others by way of teaching. We are training them to become leaders, and becoming leaders is not just about becoming elders. It's about becoming fathers, becoming husbands. They both lead, don't they? Becoming deacons, becoming other ministry leaders in the church. Maybe they are leading young people. They are leading their fellow women. We are training them to become leaders. And those that become able leaders in the church very often make able leaders in the wider society as well. Training them to become leaders, not just leaders, but godly ones at that. Let me put it this way. We are not just training them to become leaders. We are at the end of the day training them to become men and women who lead like Christ. They lead like Christ. It is for Christ-likeness we labor. As pastors, we are training men and women, we are training everyone to become like Christ. As a mentor, you are training others not so much to become like you, well, in a sense they do, but ultimately it is to become like you even as you endeavor to become like Christ. I'm always struck by the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. When 
he describes the goal of his work among the Galatians. He says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He had ministered to the Galatians, but some Judaizers crept in among them and polluted their minds and to use the language of Paul himself, that they bewitched them. And for that reason, Paul says, I need to labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The NIV says, until Christ is fully formed in you. So when we are trying to disciple others, to build others, it's a little bit like we carry them in our spiritual wombs and we keep them there until Christ is fully formed in them. That's the goal. Where there is no Christ-likeness, our work is not yet complete. They must lead like Christ. They must lead their wives like Christ. They must lead their children like Christ. They must lead the people of God like Christ. They must reflect the character of Christ. And this, after all, was the goal of God's predestinating purposes. In Romans 8 and verse 28, uh, 28 and 29, uh, we, we read that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's interesting that he uses that picture. He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And these are brethren who look alike because after all they belong to the same family. And if the family they belong to is the family of God, they will look like Christ who is the firstborn among those brethren, the leader among those brethren, the prominent one among those brethren. So three things I want to leave us with by way of application. Number one, let us be the right kind of mentors. The right kind of mentors. The right kind are godly, the right kind are faithful. And I ask you, are you a mentor and are you the right kind of mentor? Secondly, let us identify the right kind of mentees. Now, please don't wait and expect your leaders, your pastors to be the only ones to be doing this. 
identifying the mentees. If it's not been your habit to do this, get into the habit of doing this. You see a young man walk in, walk into your church. Don't wait for the pastor to draw them in, to begin to influence them. They will be influenced if they come to church and they sit under the preaching. But do something with these men, these young men, privately, at a personal level. Take them under your wings and build them up. Identify these men and it should, of course, be the right kind of men. They are men who can't be mentored because they are not faithful. If you would build anyone, they ought to be faithful. And thirdly and finally, let us mentor. The goal must be to reproduce ourselves. We are striving to be like Christ. Let us mentor men who will also strive to be like Christ. Ultimately, let us labor to reproduce Christ in our mentees. May the Lord help you and bless you even as you give yourself to this work. Amen.